again invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are continuing in our series on suffering, developing a biblical view of suffering. And um, this morning we will be dealing with the traps of suffering, okay? This isn't some subliminal message with that easy worship like just chill out and be easy. Um, they'll, they'll get that taken care of someday. I'm confident of that. But we've had some major changes in the sound room, um, and so they're adjusting to that. And um, you'll just have to look over that, all right? <clears throat> this last Christmas, when our son Caleb brought his family back for Christmas, his two boys are really interested in trapping. And I have a neighbor that has trapped all his life. And, and he said, hey, if they, want, if they want to go trapping, bring them over. And so we went over. And I wanted to be in on this as well to learn what I can about it. And he has all the equipment and everything and, and took us out and showed us about setting up various traps and set up a trap line all over the area there. And um, it, was, it was fascinating, uh, the different type of traps and... Um, Digging a trap in the ground and and the detail of of covering it with dirt, but not just any dirt. You you have a, a screen there that you shake the dirt, and I mean it was detailed and setting up um, traps for coyotes and and everything. And to me, it was it was incredible. Um, we really wanted to to see a coyote in the in the trap. Never got that. There were coons and possums and skunks and I guess that was about it. But um, with the trapping, you just play to their natural tendencies. And and so they naturally, he'd find a path that they went on, and, and uh, they went that, that was their natural tendency, and uh, would set a trap. And many times, some of these traps weren't even baited. They were just going through, and as they went through their trail, there it was, you know, um, because their natural tendencies and in the natural tendencies, um, you can lure people in. You can lure the state fair, lures people in with natural tendencies for sweets and fried foods, right? But, um, and in this, he, he showed us some dog-proof traps for... For raccoons, and we we had issues with raccoons around our place, and most of you have had this year. 
And there again, it's just a, a simple little trap. It's kind of like a, a pipe that's about this big. And you put some cat food in there. And that's one good thing for cat food, all right? And you put cat food in there, and a coon naturally is interested, and he'll stick his paw down in there and snap. And there he is. He's not going anywhere, okay? The reality is Satan uses our natural tendencies to trap us. And we many times do things without even thinking about it. We're just, we just naturally go in and we get entangled. We get um, burdened down. And in understandings, suffering is another area that we face many temptations. And in this passage it says, there is no temptation that is unique to any one individual. Sometimes we think we're unique and no one's tempted like I am. That's not true. Everybody in this world, because as we've looked at before, we live in a a sin-fallen world, cursed world, there is suffering. And everyone suffers at various degrees. And there is suffering. And yet, as we've been seeing in our Sunday night studies, God's given us the Spirit. And He is faithful, as we read in verse 13. But He said, I want you to learn from the natural tendencies of the children of Israel. And He lists many things. They... They complained. They went into sexual immorality. They rebelled against authority. And severe judgment came to them. They were trapped. And as a result, they suffered severe consequences. Well, anytime suffering comes into our life, it puts our heart under attack. And... And it really deals with what we believe about the character and nature of God. And suffering intensifies the spiritual warfare that we're in. But we've also seen that suffering is something that God uses in our lives to produce great fruit. I read this last week. Some of God's best gifts come in the ugliest packages. And uh, that just kind of stuck with me. Some of God's best gifts come wrapped up in suffering. It's not anything we want. It's not anything we desire or line up to go through. But God knows that He has some great things that He can teach us. But at the same time, as there is the great potential for great lessons, great growth, great blessing, there is also the potential for us to go the wrong way, to respond incorrectly to the suffering that enters our life. And, and so we want to look today at some of the traps that we must avoid in suffering. 
In the passage we read, <clears throat> there were three different references to uh, these were given as our examples and that you could learn from them. And it said here <clears throat> about them that most of these people God was not well pleased with. I thought, man, that's the last thing I want to be said about me. God is not well pleased. And why was He not well pleased with them? Because in the midst of suffering, they made bad choices. They maybe did what just came naturally. And the natural instincts, and they went along naturally, and the trap snapped, and there they were. God was not well pleased with them. And... And rather than look at the, the things that they faced, I want, to, I want to bring some of the traps that we may face in our society. And um, many of these came from Paul Tripp's book on suffering. But the reality is there are many aspects of suffering. We'll, we're going to mention seven traps today. And, and yet there are others, but we need to be alert, okay, here's suffering in my life, in whatever degree it is. Am I going to just respond naturally, or am I going to respond supernaturally, through the power of the Spirit? And the first trap we want to mention is denial. And denial is very tempting because we want to deny the pain. We want to work at minimizing the size of it or the power of it or the potential effect that it has on our life. And yet when we live in denial, it, it questions the very sovereignty of God. You know, people may be going through suffering and... Someone, maybe even family members, but someone may say, how are you doing? Oh, fine, fine. No problem whatsoever. Just a little bump in the road. I'm doing great. When in reality, they're really not. I mean, it, it is suffering. The book of Psalms really portrays for us that people suffer. And it gives a real picture and sometimes we think as a Christian, it means that I'm, I'm not going to suffer. And so if I'm suffering, it must mean that I've sinned or done something wrong. And sometimes it could mean that. Some suffering, as we said, is a result of bad decisions. But certainly not all suffering is that. And so sometimes we think as a Christian, I need to act like I'm not suffering. Act like, oh, no, everything's all right. But in the quietness and privateness of our heart, it's not quiet. And there is turmoil. And, and we fail to provide an accurate view of life as God does. God shows that we are broken people that live in a fallen world and... 
And we need the mercy and grace of God. But biblical faith never asks us to act like everything is all right when it isn't all right. To act like I've got things under control when we know only God has things under control. The message of the Bible is that God has ordained every situation in life. He is at work in our life to use those things. And as we've already said, every, every situation in life is accompanied with God's grace. So, so He gives us grace. So to say, oh, nothing happened, it, it wasn't a big thing, to live in denial, no, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. To live in denial is saying, God didn't bring this or allow this in my life. God is not using this in my life. There's nothing, nothing to see here. And sometimes we as people are prone to live in denial. A second trap, which probably is much more common than the first one, is doubt. Where is God in this? Why, why would He do this to me? I'm, I'm trying to obey God. I'm trying to do what God wants. Why would He bring this into my life? Where is His grace? God, I thought you loved me. Why would you allow this to come into my life? And, and honestly, the doubt questions the goodness of God. And when we question the character of God, when we question the goodness of God, then we no longer have a tendency to run to Him. See, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Something happens in our life. We doubt, God, why are you doing this to me? You must not love me. You must love other people more than me. You must not care about me. That does not make us want to go to God. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants to cut us off from fellowship with God. And in the midst of suffering, and that's why I believe it is so important that we have a biblical understanding of suffering. And, and it's not wrong to, to be open and honest with God and to ask God, but the point is, if it brings us to the point of saying, you must not love me, or we begin to question the goodness of God, then we're on dangerous ground. Suffering doesn't mean God has forsaken you. Look through the Bible. The individuals that suffered, they, they were spiritual giants. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Noah... I mean, think of the suffering Noah endured 120 years building the ark. I mean, we could go on and on through the New Testament. Paul and Stephen and Peter and, and all those in Hebrews 11. 
Suffering does not mean God has forsaken you, but often a natural reaction is, God, what are you doing to me? And we begin to doubt the goodness of God. See, the danger, as I said, in all of this is that it separates us from God. And in every one of these seven, you're going to, we're going to make the application of this is our temptation and this is then what it does in relationship to God. Because nothing in life stands alone. It's all in relationship to God. So when we believe God doesn't care, when we believe God isn't good, when we start doubting the character of God, it keeps us from going to Him. Thirdly, in the midst of suffering, another trap is worry. We try to figure out all the what-ifs. Oh no, look at this is what happened. And what if this? And, and now because this happened, what is that going to mean here and here and here? And, and we begin to worry and we live as if God isn't present with us. One of the things that God emphasizes over and over again is His presence with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The psalmist said, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm signed up to positive emails every day and I renew those. No, because you are with me. God is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. And and even while I walk through the, the most severe trial, you are with me. And if you're with me now, what I'm worried about with the future, you promise to be with me there. But worry moves the presence of God to the side and says, what am I going to do about this? Do I have what it takes? Can I handle this? Am I going to be able to bear up? No, you don't have what it takes. You don't, in and of yourself. But through the power of the Spirit and God's grace in our life, we have what it takes. To realize we are never alone is what really deals with the worry. Worry is the natural reaction that when we suffer, okay, this happened, so now what about this and what about this and what about this? And it loads us with burdens that God never intended us to carry. God is not going to give you the grace today for this coming Wednesday. In fact, He's not going to give you the grace today for tomorrow. Number one, you have no clue what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what the rest of today holds. But God promises to give His presence now, and He promises 
to, to be with us, to guide us, to give us strength, to give us power. And He is with us no matter what the situation is. But worry questions the presence of God. The fourth trap is envy. It's easy when we're in the midst of suffering to look at others and envy them. They don't seem to be going through this. I wish I was in their situation. They, they seem to be blessed, and I right now don't seem to be blessed. I wish I was in their situation. I don't know why God brought this into my life. I wish I had what they have. Envy falls into believing that God sometimes gets the wrong address for the suffering. You ever pick up your mail and it's mail for the neighbor? We sometimes think that is with suffering. Well, this can't be for me. It's got to be for some... God, this isn't the right address here, is it? God says, yes, it is. But but why, God? This, This isn't... This isn't the ideal time for this. When have you ever had suffering come into your life and say, Hey, I, I was ready. This was the ideal time. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing it right now. I was ready. No. But see, when we envy, when we think, Man, I, I, wish, it, I wish it wouldn't have happened until next week. We are questioning the wisdom of God. Envy longs for the life of someone else. Envy assesses our life compared to other people's lives. And the error in that is you have no idea what the other person is going through anyway. You know, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, I, I feel like my life is a mess. And I come to church and everybody seems to have it together and I don't. If you have it all together, please stand up. I'm going to sit down, all right? (laughs) It's easy to look at people and look around. Everybody looks pretty good, right? But every one of us, if you're a believer pursuing God... There is a struggle going on in your life. And we think, God, you've given me the wrong life. You've given me the wrong parents. You've given me the wrong this. And, and what we're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. That really sounds bad, doesn't it? And it is. What were you thinking? And God says, I'm the God of all flesh. You are the clay. I am the potter. And, and rather than longing for a different situation, rejoice in the Lord. We think God is not dealing with us correctly. 
And, and we can justify, God, I'm trying to pursue you, and this suffering is coming into my life, and what's that going to show my kids about you, God? Well, it's going to show the kids how we respond to life and what we really believe about God. But I've been there in my life where I've, I've, had, I've had reasons, God, you need to remove this because of this and this and this, and, and they all sounded like good reasons for me. Because I was envying a different situation in my life. See, when we envy, rather than longing for God, we're longing for different situation, different circumstances, different life. So envy questions the wisdom of God. Similar to worry is the fifth one, fear. Our minds can run rampant in suffering. The more we focus on our suffering, the bigger it gets. The more complicated it gets. And and when our eyes are on the suffering itself, it becomes impossible for us to see anything else and and. Fear then takes hold of us. Fear gets our focus on the circumstances, on the problems, on the future, rather than on God. So I said, be still and know that I am God. Fear minimizes the power of God, like Oh no, and like God can't do anything about this, and it's all up to me, and it minimizes the power of God. Life can really bring some incredibly difficult situations. People are victimized by financial loss and adultery, and broken homes, and addictions, and death of loved ones, and cancer. And, and in situations like that, you begin to realize, wow, this is out of my control, and that brings fear. Unless we focus on the character and the power of God. We read that He keeps us in His hand. So if anything gets to me kept in His hand, it has been through Him. He, he is able to take it. He uses it in our life and make it, makes it work together for good. But fear says, this, this just happened independently and everything is out of control and Good grief, what am I going to do about this? And we're stricken with fear. And God knows this is a natural progression for us. We go down the path of life, we run into sorrow, we respond with fear, and Satan has us. That's why he said 450 times in the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not. And we fear when our problems are big and God is small. Few of us suffer from the fact 
that our God is too big. We don't suffer from that. Oh man, I believe God was bigger than He really is. We suffer because we have a small God. Like, this is out of control. No. God is the God that controlled the flame in the fiery furnace. God is the God who controlled the mouths of the lions in the lion's den. God is the God who controls the storm. God is the God that has all power given unto Him. And only a focus on God conquers fear. Another trap that we're prone to fall into is the trap of isolation. When you're suffering, it's, it's a natural thing to... I don't want to be around anyone. I don't want to see anyone. I, I, I don't believe anybody understands what I'm going through, and so just leave me alone. And not only people, but even God. We're prone to isolate ourselves. And no. And, and when we isolate ourselves like that, we, we have begun a downward spiral because all we have is our thoughts and our thoughts deceive us and we lie. And, and honestly, it's a very strong temptation in the midst of suffering to, to just withdraw and even as a believer to, to desire to withdraw from God and reading His Word. And, and you may say, I'd never do that. I, I surveyed some people that have, have suffered and have been victorious in suffering. And one of the common things that they said was, I had to keep going to the Word, going to the Word, going to the Word, at times when I didn't even feel like it. Because a natural tendency is to isolate. We don't want to be around anyone. God never intended us to handle life alone. And we might say, okay, I need God. No, God intended us to need Him. And He designed to use fellow believers to minister as well. We need one another. And not just for them to minister to us, but for us to minister to others. So a, a natural tendency is to withdraw, to hide ourselves, and, and in that we're, we're driving ourselves deeper into the trap. The last trap that I want to mention is atheism. And, and by that, I kind of mean a practical atheism. That this suffering has come and I'm done with God. And, and we go through the motions. You know, there, there may even be people that go to church, but they're basically, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not doing it. 
just to keep peace, I'll be going through it. But from God's perspective, they, they are done with God and they are a practical atheist. They may say, oh, I believe there's a God, but he has, he has no impact on their life. And they've hardened themselves and think that they are taking control of their life in their own hands, which is just extreme fantasy. Because we don't control our own lives. But there are many individuals, and some of them, as I said, some of them keep going through the motions. Some of them are done. I've talked to many people, and, and they've said, I've tried that. I'm done with it. Doesn't matter. Because God didn't fit into the box that they'd created for Him, didn't fit into their image of God. They were making God after their own image because He didn't fit in that box. They said, forget it. If He's not going to be my God the way I want Him to be, and I don't want suffering, I don't want Him to bring this into my life, then no, I'm done with it. And they're practical atheists. And it rejects God. As isolation rejects the design of God, God designed us to need Him and to need other. The practical atheism totally rejects God. Now, you notice every one of these things, we've tied it to how it relates us to God. And everything in life is tied to God. And our responses will separate us from God or it will drive us to us. And those are, when suffering enters your life, those are the two responses you have. You're either going to run to God and if you think He's bad and He's mean and and He doesn't like you, you're going to have a hard time doing that. Or you're going to run away from Him. It, It all comes down to that. And everything is based on our trust in the fact that God exists and our trust in His character. That God is always wise. That God is always trustworthy. That God is always the same. That God is always in control. That God loves me. That God will provide every need of mine, that God gives grace, that God forgives, that God is good. Those are all things about God. But in the midst of suffering, those come into question. Do I really believe God is wise? Why did He send this? Yesterday, I think it was on um, Understanding the Times, He made a statement Along this line, if we knew things like God knows, well, let me back up. God is answering the prayers we would pray if we knew everything God knows. So, in other words, what God brings into our life 
we'd be praying that if we knew what God knew. And you might say, I don't believe that. That's because you don't know what God knows. That means you don't believe God is really good. If we really knew the heart of God and knew what God knew, we'd see Him at work in our lives. And everything, all these tests come back to what we believe about God. It's, it's important. You can't respond right to suffering if our thoughts about God are not right. That's why to know Him, knowing God, that, that's number one. You must know Him and know His character. So we ask this question, what has suffering done to what you believe about God? In the midst of suffering that has come into your life, how has that affected your belief about God? We sang, we sang this morning, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from Jesus be severed. He is my all. There's nothing between. You know, today we need to go back and confess, God, I've been in the trap of doubt. And I confess that. I've been in the trap of worry, the trap of fear, the trap of envy, the trap of isolation. I'm keeping everybody at distance from my life. And we need to confess and run to God. And it's not just running to God. It's if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He that covers his sin will not prosper but whoever confesses and forsakes shall have mercy. And we can only do that through the work of Jesus Christ. So, in essence, everything I've said this morning has basically been to believers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And honestly, if you're here today and you've never called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from your sin for whatever reason, whatever reason you haven't, it's because you don't really know the character of God. And when you come and know the character of God and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of me and man, and to know there is no solution to this sin except Jesus Christ alone, he is the only solution. He paid the penalty for my sin by His death and His resurrection. And when I claim the work of Jesus Christ to cover my sin, I am a child of His and He will never leave me nor forsake me. Psalm 23 is used often at funerals. But Psalm 23 is not true for everyone. Because the Lord is not everyone's shepherd until they have submitted to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. He is their Creator.
but they're not following. You're not a shepherd if no one's following you. But when we trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, He is our shepherd. And as we get to know the nature and character of God, then we can respond right. And as we're walking down the trail of life and suffering comes in, we recognize, whoa, I'm not going through the natural response of envy here. I'm going to God. I'm going around this trap. I'm not, I'm not going under this trap of fear. No way. I've done that enough in my life. I've still got scars in my life from a trap being around my neck because of fear, so to speak. I'm not going there. And that's the grace of God. But, but we need to come to grips with, no, I have sinned against you, God. I have sinned with envy. And I have sinned with fear. And, and I've really lived as though you weren't there, God, or as though you weren't good, or you weren't wise. You didn't know what you were doing, God. And it kind of torqued me off that you did this. And you know what? We go our ways and pout, just like a kid. Can I have a cookie? No, we're going to eat in a half hour. And they go pout. No, I can't even have a cookie. My mom hates me. We do that spiritually with God. I ask you, God, in sincerity and truth, to take this away, and you haven't, and I don't like it. And then we stand and sing, there is joy in serving Jesus. And, and you see, it's hollow. And once the hollowness is there, the only way to correct it is confession. But as we've learned on Sunday nights, we learn to live with the hollowness. We learn to make it normal. And it's not. So I ask the question, what is your suffering, regardless how great or small it is, what has your suffering done to what you believe about God? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to closely see the examination of your Spirit in our life. And I pray that there would be genuine confession on the, on the part of believers of confessing our doubt, confessing our denial, confessing our fear and worry and isolation and the other aspects. And Lord, I pray that we would be brought back to intimacy with You. And then, Lord, I pray for people that are here today that have never called upon You for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, may Your Spirit draw them and may they submit to You as they trust in Your finished work alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going